Welcome to your Truth Revealed podcast, helping you be your own mental health expert. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to explore your hidden physical and mental health potential. You're listening to episode 35, Know Your Self-Awareness. This is the first part of an interview where I'm the guest with host Ashley Braxton on the Happy Choice Podcast. And this is the last interview of season two. Season three will start again in September. Specializing in psychology, I explain the importance of being mindful of yourself and how developing self-awareness can help you discover your full potential. That's the benefit, is being aware of those moments where you're just being. We're human beings, Mm -hmm. not human doings. We forget that. We have so many distractions. And it's our responsibility to connect back to who we really are. It's the fundamental self, which I call the true self. Listen as Ashley and I discuss ways to heal yourself and adopt the mindset of self-awareness and loving kindness. Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Choice Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Braxton, and today's podcast is super fun for me because it's with my dear friend, Miss Erica Marcoux. Erica is someone who embodies mindfulness. If you don't know what mindfulness is, listen up because Erica will give you the lowdown. Hello, Erica. Hi, Ashley. We're in Austin and everything is blooming here and it looks amazing. You're in Austin. You're where everyone migrated. Can you feel it becoming denser now? Well, yeah. I grew up here and it was a small college town with great music. I left for 10 years and came back around 2009 Mm -hmm. and it's unrecognizable. And so imagine... Even the last 20 years, it's not the same city. The whole reason people want to come here is for that culture, but it's diluted. It's almost gone. I moved out of Austin. I'm on some land now and I just keep moving out. Look at you. Yeah. Can you tell everyone what it is that you do? Yeah. Well, I've got a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm also a yoga instructor And the way that I work with clients is mainly by teaching mindfulness. And we do do meditation in some of the sessions so we can get pretty deep. Can you explain to everyone what is mindfulness? Mindfulness, my definition is paying attention on purpose in the present moment with acceptance. That's a key part. So not judging your experience, just allowing yourself to be. It's so funny because you said it just so beautifully. But as I know what it is, I was like, wow, she said 12 different things in one little beautiful sentence. Yes, I did. There's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. What brought you to wanting to study mindfulness? I don't know that I ever stepped back and said, okay, I want to study mindfulness. I think it unfolded through my life experiences and through the education that I've gotten. And it's that way or that avenue seemed to match how I was already starting to work with clients. So then I got more cemented. Yeah. Wow. 
And when you were growing up, did you know what mindfulness was or did you have someone in your family who taught you that? Good questions. When I was about 13, my dad started exploring Zen Buddhism and I did not grow up in a Christian culture like the majority of Americans. And I resonated with that. It's really about being aware in the moment and not having preconceptions of what that moment is. It's allowing myself to be. And it was very freeing. I loved it. And then when I was 18, I started my first yoga class. And after my senior year in high school, I went to the same yoga class every day that whole summer. And so (laughs) it was Iyengar yoga, which is not a common form of yoga. And really, that's how my brain developed. It was around these concepts. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool that you got to learn that that young. Yeah. And I don't know any different. I think people approach me and they assume I have a certain mindset when I don't. Right. My mindset is mindfulness, Buddhism, yogic psychology. That's my mindset. When you were younger, when you were taught this mindset, did you ever go to school and realize that people didn't think like you did? Or was there actually people around you who did? Oh, no, I have always felt like an oddball, uh, for sure. And that's okay with me. But I don't believe that most people growing up, I mean, in Austin and in Texas, Mm -hmm. I don't think most people got that. And that's okay with me. I mean, I'm very independent. And a fundamentally an introvert, so eh. <laughs> she's like, look, listen, right? I'm, I'm all good. <laughs> and so after high school, what did you do? I went to college. I lived in New Orleans for a bit, came back to Austin, and decided to study Mayan archaeology and cultural anthropology. So I went to Belize. No way. Yeah. And I did archaeological studies there in Belize and minored in photojournalism. And I think in the back of my mind, thought that I was going to work for National Geographic. I don't know. Yeah. That is so cool. It's not the direction that my life took. But what is similar is really looking at cultures from an objective standpoint and Mm. seeing not only the psychology of a culture, but also the psychology of the individuals that comprise of that culture. That's still with me very much. So it's just a part of me. And I appreciate other cultures. Yeah. Where else did you go? Just Belize? Yeah. Well, actually I studied in Mexico for a while too, but predominantly it was the same archaeological site near Orange County, Belize. Wow. That is amazing. Did you ever uncover like something. Yeah, we uncovered a really amazing tomb when we were there and I got to photograph it. That was neat. And I know that National Geographic was there a couple of times and it's been around for 25 years, the same archaeological director, Dr. Fred Valdez. Hello, Dr. Fred. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, wow. You were doing all of that and then you just stopped or well, I needed, you just had a change of plan? I needed to make money. I needed to pay off my student loan. I needed to be practical. And I knew I wasn't going to be a professor of archaeology. That's just not my thing. So I worked for a subsidiary of IBM, Tivoli, here in Austin. 
we did marketing. That wasn't my thing. And I met my now husband at that time. We decided to move to DC and I worked in marketing at the American Red Cross headquarters. And what led me on the healing path is really September 11, oddly. The building for the Red Cross headquarters was catty corner from the White House. Hmm. When all that happened, we were locked into the Red Cross building. I was totally freaked out. I mean, that whole thing was so scary. And it was affecting everyone in that area. And what happened for me is I stopped sleeping. I just had a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And a friend of mine was like, well, why don't you see this woman who does energetic healing? Well, I had no idea what that meant, but she bought a session for me for my birthday. And that really initiated the whole path that I've been on. I got those sessions from her, learned more about alternative healing and wanted to get training in it so that I could do that for other people. And I did. Mm -hmm. I got trained in what's called polarity therapy. And it was originated and created by a naturopath named Dr. Randolph Stone. And he traveled extensively. I think maybe this was in the 50s or 60s. He would go to China. He went to India and he learned all these different healing modalities and included it in the way that he works with people. So it is hands-on. There's a, a very holistic component to the way that he would work with his patients. And that created the model for me. This is just a funny thing, but during that time I was getting my training and I had a dental appointment. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna know where this is gonna go. (laughs) (laughs) So random. I went to the dentist. His dental office happened to be in the Watergate Hotel and he had been there for a long time. And he's like, Erica, what are you up to now? And I told him about it. And he was really interested in it. And I said, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm about to start my private practice. And, and his eyes lit up. He goes, well, do you need an office space? And I said, sure. And he walked me down the hall. And there was an office space that he let me use. So for a year, I had a private practice with instant clients. And they were his dental patients. A lot of people what? have anxiety around getting especially major dental work done, I would work with them to calm down the nervous system before and after the procedures. That is pretty wild. So cool. Wow. I don't know. It felt like it was just like meant for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you were hand walked there. Like, here you go. It felt that way. And then I got really interested in how people heal and how people get stuck and looking mm. at it holistically. And I thought, man, I definitely want to get more training in this. I did a lot of research and I found a program, and this was in the early 2000s, called Somatic Counseling Psychology. Soma means body, and it looks at the whole person. It's very mm. different from psychoanalysis or more traditional right. counseling. And there were three programs in the U.S. that offered this training. There was one Naropa in Boulder, and then there were two in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I chose one of those. It's JFK University in the Bay Area. We moved there and got my training, which was very extensive. It's two years of training, one year of internship. And then after I graduated, it was two and a half more years of internship. I learned about a lot of different modalities of healing. I would say the primary thing is that our brain really isn't just 
our head. It's our mm-hmm. whole body that has life experiences and we hold emotions and memories. We can feel that throughout our whole body. And that's the emphasis and the type of work that I do with people. Wow. Yeah, so then I came back home to Austin because I was terribly homesick. We had been away for almost 10 years. When I came back, I got yoga teacher training to add to it and worked with my former business partner. And she and I developed a program and Mm -hmm. wrote a workbook that's still available on Amazon. And it's called Foundations of Living Mindfully. And gosh, we did events, we did silent retreats and workshops and all sorts of stuff. Along that time, I've had a private practice. Wow. And can you tell people the importance of understanding that it's a whole body? I can't emphasize that enough that we have different aspects to ourselves, And I break it apart that we have our physical body mm-hmm. and it's our responsibility to take care of that. We've got our emotions that we feel all the time. I mean, it may be in our awareness or not. We've got our behavior. Mm -hmm. I even include our languaging, what we choose to say, what we choose to do in each moment. And then we've got our mind, which I think is the trickiest part for people. There's those four parts, but the most important part of who we are is our self-awareness. I call that Mm. the soul with the characteristics of being conscious and compassionate. And it's how all that moves together. Most people have strengths in some areas, maybe their emotional intelligence, or Mm -hmm. maybe they take really good care of their body, but they're weak in other areas. So I just try to get everyone as strong in each area as possible. But you really can't work with me unless you are connected to your soul in some way. Mm. Because to me, that's the whole point. Right. Yeah. And I've always wanted to ask this question as well, because some people say, I don't know how to be consciously aware. What would you say to someone who would come to you and be like, I don't know what even that is? I have a lot of people come to me and say that that they don't know what that is. But a way to think about it is I have a client who every evening he builds a fire in his backyard. I said, well, why do you do it? Because it, Mm -hmm. it feels good. Okay, when you're doing that, notice how it feels. Mm. Notice how you're not on your phone or you're not doing something. You're just being. And we do it all the time. We're just not aware that we're doing it. Mm -hmm. But that's the benefit, right? Is being aware of those moments where you're just being. And here's the thing. We're human beings, not human Mm -hmm. doings. Right. We forget that. We do. We have so many distractions and it's our responsibility to connect back to who we really are. It's the fundamental self, which I call the true self. It's so good. It's uh, very important Mm -hmm. to get there. And then it's also the practice of it Mm -hmm. in everything you do. Yes, that's right. Everything. That's right. And it's a shift in perspective for most of us. And I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. all of us, but... If we're part of this culture in the West, it's not a culture that's emphasizing being. It's emphasizing the collective ego. That's a whole other conversation. But (laughs) in Buddhism and also in what I call yogic psychology, now that's part of the philosophy of yoga, is that you have your true self and then you have this ego part of you. Mm -hmm. Ego is not bad. 
Ego is not something that we want to get rid of. It's how we function in the world. But what I've seen the most suffering comes from when we're so identified with the ego and we forget who we really are, that we're a soul having a human experience. And it's that shift in perspective that's the healing perspective. It puts it puts mm. everything in its place. It really does. Can you give people tips on how they can be more mindful? Mm. I always like to tell people, make everything you do really minimalistic. Even sometimes I'm cooking. I'm like, okay, I don't need to listen to music. I don't need to listen to a podcast. I need to pay attention to what happens when the knife hits, I don't know, the carrot. You learn so much about life and you're using all of your senses and you're paying more attention to the smell and things like that. Do you have other tips that people can do to get to that point? I would say that, first of all, that's a great example. And it's more about slowing down, having more silence, creating simplicity in your life. Because what I have found is that people avoid that because it feels uncomfortable. And we're so used to being distracted by our phone or by busy lives or whatever, that when we slow down, it almost seems like people start to panic. And I would urge people to just be with that fear, that underlying fear is if we're really with ourselves, mm -hmm. that we're not going to like ourselves or we're going to find something that's just appalling. And that does seem to be a general fear. Well, here's the next part of that is if you do find something, be with that too, without judging it as good or bad. Mm -hmm. I just want to speak to that this is not simple for some people and that's okay. I started a meditation practice back in 2007. It was not an easy transition for me. It wasn't. There, I felt like there was so much debris. There's so much junk that I wasn't even aware of that was on the subconscious level. And through this work and helping people and through my own journey, because I'm first, right? I can't right. help anybody unless I'm helping myself first. I have a tremendous amount of compassion for people on the healing journey because it can be tough and it's yeah. also the most rewarding. To go back to starting this mindfulness practice and starting to notice some deep negative thoughts that are tied into some negative, what I call self-limiting beliefs and this is something that I have learned in the last couple of years and that I've been really working with people on that we all are conditioned by the time we're six years old. We have had experiences in our family of origin and with our community where we've started to develop these negative self-beliefs or self-limiting beliefs by the time we're six. And oftentimes when people start a mindfulness practice or meditation, those self-limiting beliefs start to come up. The beauty of it is they're coming up for a reason to be looked at, reevaluated from an adult perspective, and to be shifted. A lot of people have this self-limiting belief that I'm not lovable. And that's the saddest thing because it's not true. We're all fundamentally lovable. And it's about adopting that self-enhancing belief, which is just the opposite typically of I'm lovable. Mm -hmm. It's like the glasses that you put on and seeing yourself in the whole world as I'm lovable. Therefore, you are also. And it's being in that 
state of mind. I want to talk about a workbook I co-wrote called Foundations for Living Mindfully. If you're looking for practical ways to develop self-awareness, then this workbook is for you. It includes exercises both to enhance and expand your true self in a larger sense and to mitigate painful patterns. It marries your soul connection with physical and mental health best practices. This workbook provides an easy way to understand consciousness and steps that are practical and attainable. Go to Amazon.com and search for Erica Marcoux. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-A-R-C-O-U-X. A newer book will be available soon. It's called Your Truth Revealed and is a reference workbook for this podcast. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Ashley Braxton. It's important to see yourself in a holistic and complete way. I find it helpful to recognize that you have four primary aspects to being human. You have a body, emotions, behavior, and a mind. The mind can be a bit tricky. It's helpful to be objective and aware of your mind paying particular attention to any deep negative thoughts. This practice can be difficult, but once recognized, you then have the power to change these thoughts. It takes time and persistence for the grooves in your brain to rewire and know it's worth the effort. And it is fundamental and healing to recognize your soul. This is your true self. Realize that everything you experience is your reality and that suffering and discomfort are part of that reality. There's nothing to be ashamed of or to react against. If you are able to recognize your suffering, it can serve as a means to wake you up. You can use suffering as motivation to practice self-awareness and further develop clarity and compassion. Also, notice how everything you experience is constantly changing. Even the conditions of your suffering In every new moment, you have an opportunity to make positive changes. Begin at the beginning. You can move your turbulent mindset to peace and well-being with your intention. This is a way to realize your full potential. There's great resources like these in the show notes. In episode 36, Ashley and I talk about letting go of preconceptions and embracing life. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. You can stay connected with me by signing up for my newsletter at yourtruthreveal.com and follow me on Instagram at Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.